Hello and welcome to episode 236 of SMARTS, which, as you know, stands for... Snyder Mavens Achieve Reality Through Streaming. Oh, very good. I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame-Podcaster, and with me, as always, is Trevor, a.k.a. Rudiger Q. Podcaster. Hello. Hi. So, uh, care to explain your acronym? No. Okay. That was very thrilling. Yes. Actually, I will explain it. Okay, excellent. Does it have to do with the news? It does have to do with the news. Oh, boy. So, it was an, so as we record this, HBO Max is launching tomorrow. Oh, okay. And as we've talked about on the show before, it's going to eventually have all sorts of DC Comics related content. A lot okay. of the stuff that's on DC Universe, plus new originals like the Green Lantern series, the Strange Adventures series, whatever else they decide to do. But they announced this week that um, next year, HBO Max will exclusively host a uh, project which a lot of people have been requesting, which is the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Oh. So as as you're probably somewhat aware, this has sort of a long and, and torrid history where, of course, Zack Snyder was, you know, direct directed Justice League. By most accounts, he had directed, he had filmed about 90%, of the shades of the whole Richard Donner thing, you know, mm-hmm. 30 or 40 years ago. He had filmed about 90% of it. Then he had this tragedy in his family, yeah. right, where he had to leave the project. But it really seemed like Warner Brothers saw it as, you know, like, it's uh, maybe it's for the not for the best obviously because the tragedy but it's like this this provides us with an opportunity to course correct a little Mm -hmm. bit because his last couple of movies weren't super well received so let's bring in joss whedon who did the avengers which everybody loves Mm -hmm. and have him reshoot a lot of this movie and and do a lot of new stuff Mm -hmm. and the finished project product which while i like it has been kind of divisive because some people feel like a that you know it's too bad that snyder didn't get to complete you know his you know, Vision, regardless, sure. of, regardless of what you think of the quality of the other two movies, it, it always kind of sucks to have an artist not get to finish a project that they've been working on for years. Right. right. And also I did. And I and what I do agree with is that not that I don't agree with that part, too, but the, the part that kind of more directly pertains to me, I feel like, is the part that you I really feel like when you're watching the movie that you're, you're seeing it's not as bad as oh, Suicide Squad right. in terms of like feeling like it's a bunch of different too many cooks in the kitchen mm-hmm. but you really feel like oh this is a Zack Snyder scene and like oh this is a scene that is super Joss Whedon because all of a sudden everybody's quipping and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know nothing is nothing is framed in in such an as a, in an because Joss Whedon is a very like Serenity Avengers Age of Ultron these are great these are great movies but he doesn't have quite the same Zack Snyder's strengths are are visual flair you know mm-hmm. like striking imagery right whereas Joss Whedon's strengths are like competent staging but more in the writing I would say you know in the characterization um, and I'd really the movie kind of feels like two halves which are sort of a little at war with each other to me so ever ever since the movie came out and didn't do that well financially there's been a contingent of fans who have been you know hashtag release the Snyder Cut right? yeah yeah because at first this, everybody involved was like oh no he didn't get to finish it and so there is no there is no Snyder Cut but right. then more and more people including you know Ben Affleck um Jason Momoa all, like a lot of the actors involved they're like no there there is one like he screened yeah. it for us it exists like it's not 100% finished but it's more finished than the studio is leading you to believe. And so this has only increased oh, the clamoring. Yeah. So this week they announced that in fact, exclusively on HBO Max next year, they will release the Snyder Cut of the movie. Wow. They're spending millions of additional dollars to have Zack Snyder back to 
they're not to they're, polish it. They're not letting him shoot any additional scenes, which apparently, and this is all reports now. This is like there's the official announcement, mm-hmm. which is just next year. This will be a thing on the service. Then there were additional reports that said Snyder wanted permission to shoot additional scenes with the actors. They weren't willing to go that far, but they did give him some reports, say up to 20 or $30 million to finish the score, finish the visual effects, mm-hmm, finish mm-hmm. the editing, record ADR with the actors to smooth over some of the Bumps. parts that might be missing because he didn't have finished scenes. Right. Um, their reports also differ on what form this might take because by some reports, his initial cut of the movie was almost four hours long <laughs> because he was going to do it as two movies. Right, right. And so does that mean he filmed 90% of both movies or just 90% of the first? I mean, yeah. why not Why not just let him go like whole hog, do like extended, like if they, they might release it all at once. I also saw reports that they might release it as like a mini as like a mini series if it mm-hmm. is going to be three or four hours long. Of course, once it's all out, you could watch it all together if you wanted to. Sure. But I think this is good. I mean... So some people will say, and it's true that the the release the Snyder Cut people were kind of a little toxic in in some of their strategies for trying mm-hmm. to get this. You know, um, there were a lot of too too much of tearing Joss Whedon down and and deifying Zack Snyder right. for my taste. Yeah. Whereas from my perspective, it's like it'd be cool to see both versions. And while I have, and you do too, obviously, and we've mm-hmm. talked about them at length, our our issues with Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, I do think that they are like. They are interesting and in a lot of ways, like compelling takes on these characters visually, dramatically, even if, you know, like, oh, that, you know, the script could have been a little better. It's too bad that actor didn't get more to work with. It's too bad that there's, you know, so many people killing each other, et cetera. It's all the things we've talked about before. I mean, if if you just want to see this as an interesting what if variation, I mean, if nothing else, it's going to be visually rich to look at because this stuff always is, right? Mm -hmm. And to see like, more for and and there were whole sections that we've talked about them before all these because he started after the justly came out he started releasing like little snippets like photos and stuff on twitter it's mm-hmm. like oh dark side was going to be in my movie iris west was going to be in my movie they were going to reveal that general swanwick was that yeah, i told you this yeah. they were going to reveal general swanwick was our, actually martian manhunter and like all yeah. the stuff that was going to be in his movie right um volko was going to be like they were going to have some other cast members for aquaman were going to be in there yeah. like this would yeah. have been the debut of um who played Volko? Give me, give me a uh, D- Daniel D- Defoe. Daniel um, Day Lewis. Willem, Willem, Willem Defoe, Defoe. Yeah, he was going to be in this as Volko before Aquaman came out. Kind of, they had Mira in there, but they were going to have Volko in right. there too. All sorts of other stuff. He was going to have more cameos. A lot more. It was going to have you know, Dark Side in there. Apparently, Snyder had a five-film arc planned out. So it was going to mm-hmm. be Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and then a Justice League trilogy. And cool. so what we get here might actually comprise, you know, parts three and four potentially. Yeah. Of what that would have been. And so it'll be an interesting what if. Mm-hmm. And who knows where it might go from there. I'm not saying they're going to bring him back to do like an alternate Justice League 3 when there was no Justice League 2 or anything like that. But, you know, it, it, at the very least, you know, for people that. Because Justice League was kind of a failed start, right? Like they were hoping this would relaunch this universe of movies. And instead, it was kind of like, all right, this is it for the shared universe stuff for now. We'll just do solo movies with other quirkier characters like Shazam and Aquaman and so on. And we'll do a Wonder Woman sequel because that one was popular. But they're not doing any more Ben Affleck Batman movies. They're not doing any more Henry Cavill Superman movies. They're not doing any more team-up movies, period, right? The Cyborg and Flash movies have been long gestating and may or may not ever happen. Yeah. Um, So this will be, I I think this is cool. Like, I mean, four hours of Zack Snyder directing, you know, great looking scenes with these characters and more you know i we feel like the cast you know there's one thing you can't 
say about these movies is that the cast no, is bad. It's so you amazing. Know, let's see what Henry Cavill could have done if he wasn't if his face wasn't being uh, ravaged by CG to remove really his mustache, right? Because that's yeah. not going to be anywhere in here. All that was the additional stuff he had to film later after he'd grown out his mustache for that Mission Impossible movie, right? Right. Um, more Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. More Jason Momoa as Aquaman without being potentially like as quippy as he was in Joss Whedon's version. Maybe more like the. Well, stoic, to be fair, he guy. did sit on the lasso of truth. But that's a Joss Whedon scene. You can't tell me that's not a Joss <laughs> no, Whedon that's scene. No, that's fantastic. And I love it. But I'm sorry, yeah, but good, I do. There's good stuff in there, but I but I think like this is the best of both worlds. Yeah. I mean, ideally, he would have gotten, we would get a finished version of his movie, which yeah. I don't think they're, I mean, even if the actors were willing, they're not going to pay to bring Ben Affleck back to shoot five minutes. Of, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. he'd have to bulk up again and they'd have to remake the costume and it's just not going to happen, right? Yeah. Um, but this is cool. So next year we're going to get this in some form, mm-hmm. either as a regular length movie, a super long movie, or in installments as a mini series or something. Um, he's already apparently at work on a little teaser trailer that I imagine will show us some things that, like Dark Side, that we didn't see in yeah. the actual movie, right? So I think this is cool. I think that it's kind of like, you know, it took Agreed. a roundabout way, but now we get both versions and you can watch. Kind of like the, It does remind me of the whole Richard Donner, Richard Lester, Superman 2 thing mm-hmm. from 40 years ago. And they eventually did release a Donner cut of Superman 2, but because he was only able to film 80% of his movie right. or whatever, it, it still had to include some of the Lester footage and there were holes there and he had to reuse the ending from the first movie and it was sort of a weird thing. But you get to see more scenes of Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder yeah. as Superman and Lois Lane that nobody had seen in 40 years, right? Yeah. So, you know. You, you, I know, you take, take the good take with the bad. Yeah. Um, but I think that's cool. And, you know, again, HBO Max is, if they're willing to spend $30 million on an alternate cut of a movie that didn't make a lot of money in the box office, it really seems that they're willing to put their money where their mouth is as far as their DC Comics properties. Right? Yeah. So at, at the very least, it's a good barometer of that. Yeah. Um, so we also have, oh, it's, oh, my formatting is a little messed up in my show notes here. Um, so we have some news about the CW shows. So you knew about this. This broke, last, you know, we didn't record last oh, week because yes. we were busy, but... Um, this broke last week that Ruby Rose is going to be leaving Batwoman. Yeah. So at first this came out of nowhere. There was like a joint statement from her and the and the, the network the studio, saying, you yeah. know, we have the greatest highest respect from each other. We're parting ways. If you read it carefully, it really seemed like it was Ruby Rose's decision because it's, she said, I have made the decision to right. step away. And mm-hmm. you can better believe that all of these statements are gone over with a fine-tooth comb by the legal division of the CW and Warner Brothers and everything else, right? Like mm-hmm. she wouldn't have been able to say that if it wasn't her decision. Um, and then there's been reports recently that said that she was unhappy on set, mm-hmm. that she just mentally wasn't able to, she she wasn't um, she wasn't hanging in there super well with like the long shooting schedules yeah. and everything, um, and that it was creating sort of kind of a tense work environment on set, which is not what you want, especially like season one of what they're I'm sure what they're hoping will be like five, six, seven, eight season show, right? Right. You want to get it off to a strong start. You just like you don't want to set a create a situation where now other actors are going to want to leave the show because after two or three years they just can't take it anymore (laughs) right it's like you want to rip the band-aid off so it's the whole like did she jump or was she pushed kind of thing but it does seem like and not to place blame it does seem like this was sort of a situation of her making that then was mutually agreed upon by her and the network to part ways right right and they have said, obviously, they're going to recast. Mm-hmm. You know, are I, they, are they going to have some sort of universe explanation? When you or? first told me about this news it. item, I couldn't believe it. You even had me guess, like torture. Guess, you guessed uh, every single cast it was member a main except character. for her. I guessed every single one except for her. It just didn't even enter my mind. Well, because it, it hasn't happened. And then happened. You, you told me, yeah, it hasn't In happened. In eight like, years of these shows, 
you, you could count on <laughs> yeah. you could count on one hand the number of recastings they've had to do period right and there's never been a major one like this unless i'm this completely forgetting something normally they oh. just if someone wants to leave the show they write they the just character. leave the show and yeah. sometimes it happens fast like they've had characters they've written out of these shows after one or two years yeah. right but you can't do that when it's the star anybody literally anybody else on this show yeah. they could have written out yep. you would, it would hurt to lose jacob or alice as a character on the show but the right. show would survive it's not right. like alice is batwoman's only villain but you obviously can't do the show without batwoman right so you know, wow. they have to recast. So the yeah. question is, is there going to be some sort of in-universe explanation for it, like plastic surgery or whatever, or like a face replacement? I don't think so. I think it's going to be like, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be like on Her Majesty's Secret Service, where it's a new guy playing James Bond for the first time. Mm -hmm. There's one sort of wink at the camera style reference to it mm -hmm. at the very top of the movie where it's like this never happened to the other guy or whatever and even that's too much because it's like that doesn't make any sense right yeah, but it's like oh if someone says oh you know okay you're you did something with your hair did you do something you look different did you do something with your <laughs> hair or something like yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it that's the only time it's ever mentioned i think that's the most they're gonna do is one little wink at the audience like that like yeah, yeah we know this is weird yeah too yeah just go with us on this you know we'll yeah. try to make this as smooth as possible how are they going to audition and do chemistry tests and film tests now in this time of quarantine? Well, how, I mean, how I'm are just, they I'm just, <laughs> Listen, yeah. If you can't do screen tests, you can't shoot the show well, either. Obviously, so yeah. you've got to wait until all of that's possible. And we've got news <laughs> regarding that in a second too. But, but I think obviously it sucks to lose her. Um, I, I, I will say that of like, of the leads that they've had on these shows, mm -hmm. this is going to sound super harsh. I don't mean it to be harsh. It's all relative. She probably impressed me the least straight out of the gate. Mm, out of the gate, yeah. But, I mean, Steve, she was really Stephen growing Amell, into... Yeah. Stephen Amell was a little bit of a block early on. But you could kind of tell that there was... That he had a lot going on, like, under the hood. And he just had to sort of open up about it. And a lot of that was the way his character was being written, too. as like this really tightly wound, yeah, obsessive, it was, it was a dark little on the, guy. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but Grant Gustin, Melissa Benoist... Cress Williams, like the, you know, then you want to mm -hmm. extrapolate Katie Lotz, Tyler Hecklin, mm -hmm. like a lot of these people, like from, from the second they walk on the screen, you're like, okay, I buy that they're mm -hmm. this character and they could be the star of their own show, right? Yeah. For her, like you remember even going back to last year's crossover, you're like, I'm not sold on this character and this actress. And then she started to win you over once yeah. her series started. Yeah. But there wasn't that instant buy-in and maybe that speaks to... You know, maybe maybe there was something I don't know, like some disconnect. You can maybe there, you know, you were sensing like, is she a hundred percent invested in this role? Like yeah. maybe there was something that you were maybe. sensing with your like director or actor brain or something. I don't know. Anyway, it's harsh to say. I do think that if they get someone on board now, and at this point, you know, you're only going to get someone who wants to be on the show. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because yeah. they're not going to make the same mistake twice. So the show a year from now, I think, is going to be in a better place mm -hmm. behind the camera and yeah. probably, you know, for the audience too than it was in season one. Because who knows what this was affecting, right? right? Maybe there were stories and scenes they wanted to do but they couldn't do because she's like, no, I'm just not going to stay long enough to shoot that today because yeah. I've had enough of it. Like, who knows? What, and, you know, you know, you don't want to be uncharitable towards her. But if this is what was happening, mm -hmm. it has a ripple effect on the other actors' performances, on... Yeah. You know, the, on the morale of the overall set, the writer's room, everything, right? Yeah. So I think that you rip off the bandaid after season one. It's the kind of thing you can't do after four or five years. But you rip off the bandaid after season one, it becomes a weird anomaly that people don't even remember a few years from now. Like, does everybody remember the first season of the George Reeves Superman show when it wasn't 
Noel Neal is playing yeah. Lois Lane. Like people remember that, but when people think of the George Reeves Superman show, they think of George Reeves and Noel Neal. They don't remember that one season when it was Phyllis Coates. I'm just throwing out names <laughs> you've heard, but have no have reference I though? for. <laughs> or people don't remember that. Like I mean, the thing you want to say is maybe the Genevieve Bujol thing mm-hmm. playing. Like the I woman saw who that would in the comments too, Janeway. which is a terrible, terrible thing. I know to read the comments and fall down the internet rabbit hole, but I was very curious because it's 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 also. Um, it's also something mentioned in the same article that you sent me that she was catching a lot of Twitter meanness when she was first cast and throughout. Yeah, her, but a lot of stint. these, a lot of people these days, it's just. I, know, I mean, it sucks. It's, it's the price of doing business. If you're yeah. if you're a minority, either in terms of your race or your sexual orientation or your religion or whatever, and you're in a prominent role in TV or a movie, mm-hmm. I mean, look you're at you're gonna catch Kelly judgment. Marie Tran in the Star Wars movies yeah. and, and John Boyega and so on in those mm-hmm. movies. Like, if you're any sort of minority and you're in a prominent franchise, you're gonna get. If people are going to find something to, to hate about I you. I know. You're going to be forced to leave social media. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just, I mean, that sucks. But either, but, you know, if if that was having an emotional toll on her and affecting yeah. her Yeah, but morale, the reason then... I bring it up is because somebody actually did mention the fact that, hey, you know, there were actually a lot of nice comments, too, and positive things, which I hope that she hears, too, because... Um, she may not have been like super, super, a hundred percent, like you said, like right out of the gate, fantastic. Um, nobody else can ever be in this role, um, type of allure. But at the same time, like you could see that she worked at it. She she started to grow into the role, and I was I was so used to her that it didn't enter my mind that she would leave. Um, and uh, a lot of people were saying the same thing about the the beginnings of Voyager. Same thing with uh, well, Genevieve Bouge. But that never actually aired. This was no, just I know like, that, but it was similar. But it was similar. The, but it was similar in yeah. this in the in the way that she wasn't used to the intense uh, TV shooting schedule and the demands of putting a show out um, like this. That it was so intense and long hours. Um, and she left because she wasn't there. And and yeah, she left before the pilot aired. But it was shot, um, and and had to be reshot with uh, Kate Mulgrew, who I think that took the role. In most of these cases, and it's hard to say because you you don't you don't know what the alternate universe would have been. But in, in all the canonical nerd cases where you think of these things, Kate Mulgrew. Um, oh, I had another one. Oh, um, Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn in Lord of yes. the Rings. Yes, um, mm-hmm, Michael J. One. Fox as Marty McFly in Back to the Future. Right? I didn't like, know that. It was going that. to be Eric really? Stoltz, right? Like, wow, I didn't like, know that. And can you like in most of the in pretty much all of these cases, yeah. when you look back, you can't imagine nope. it being anybody else. It's nope. just in this case, we got one year of it being somebody else. Somebody else, yeah. you know. But and 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 I'm sure that history is replete with other examples where there you would are, have been better yeah. off with the first person. And you got it's just that we don't remember those projects because the person they ended up getting wasn't as good, and the project failed and nobody liked it and that's why we don't remember them we only remember the instances where the recasting the recasting was the lightning in the bottle yeah you got a michael j fox or you got a vigo mortensen or you got you know what i mean yeah and so we remember those and we forget the ones that sucked but so that's (laughs) entirely possible that it's just selective selective memory could be selective memory but i think that this is an opportunity for them to you know instead of getting another you know eight out of ten to get a, a nine or a ten out of ten you know to get a Grant Gustin to get a Melissa Benoist mm-hmm. where you just can't because I, I think that you know ultimately can you imagine some because after you got over your initial shock mm-hmm. you can you can imagine somebody else playing that role I could after and, a year of Supergirl really could you imagine no... anybody other than Melissa Benoist playing Supergirl and I'm not after throwing a year shade. I couldn't no so I mean obviously other people and have and I'm not but throwing shade show, at Ruby Rose because it's obvious that she she put a lot of heart into it and she did she stuck it out like well, it's she to was to her credit that if she was is, having this much trouble credit. that she lasted a year and that it wasn't obvious on screen right 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, kudos to her because seriously, like, and I see her having improved as an actor in her craft um, over the course of the season too. So, I mean, I just, I just wish her the very best. It's like, if a, she made this choice to leave, yeah, it must have been a hard choice too because career-wise, yeah. this can't be great for her. I know because is she how? When like, are, what's an actor supposed to achieve? Like, well, you, when are people gonna when are people gonna want to hire her for a TV show again yeah. if her one only other starring role was a flameout like this? Mm-hmm. Like, people aren't gonna want to hire her for a TV role I know. for years until this she proves great. herself yeah. again. You know, if if she ever wants to work in TV again, maybe she doesn't. Right? Maybe she's like, I'm just gonna do movies or or whatever or right. music videos or whatever she wants to do. Yeah. Anyway. You know, so that's that's that thing. Um, but along the same lines, the CW uh, announced what their plan is for the whole coming back after COVID thing. So most of the shows, instead of premiering, you know, in the fall when they normally do, will be held back until January of 2021. This includes Flash. Let's see if I can get all these now. Flash. Um, it's the only one I can remember off the top of my head. Um, uh, not Supergirl, not Legends. What else? So Flash, I guess probably Black Lightning, um, Batwoman. So there's one, right? Okay. Batwoman. And the new Superman and Lois series will all premiere in January. Legends was always like a later, almost mid-season thing and mm-hmm. will continue to be so. And Supergirl will now be a mid-season thing in this one particular case because of Melissa Benoist's pregnancy. So they're kind of taking advantage of this delight to give her an extra few months right. and let her not just deliver but also have some maternity, maternity leave and then yeah. come back. Um, so the shows will start rolling out in January, including the premiere of Superman and Lois and then a couple of other shows. The other couple of shows will follow a few months later. What this means, though, is that it's hard to, and obviously with the coronavirus thing going on, and also with the fact that they just did Crisis on Infinite Earths and how do you follow that up, they're making the decision to go much smaller scale with this year's crossover. So instead of doing a huge three, four, five, six show crossover this year, Mm -hmm. unless they change their minds, the plan right now, they say, is just to do a limited crossover. It's going to be Superman and Lois crossing over with Batwoman. So Mm -hmm. kind of like a world's finest kind of thing. There will be, they say, guest stars from the other shows too, but it won't it'll be a two hour endeavor instead of a three, four, five, or six hour endeavor. You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I can picture sort of like, you know, maybe they get this sort of de facto Justice League back together in some form, you mm-hmm. know, that we saw briefly at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earth with the Hall of Justice and the table and everything. Or they get some of it back together. So we get the feel that it's another big event crossover, but it's really just kind of like more of a world's finest sure. kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe you involve Supergirl. But see, this is the problem because you can't involve Supergirl because she won't be shooting yet. So this right. is, is kind of dictated by some of these other factors. I think it's probably best to go with a little smaller scale this year. It kind of, it, you know, it's it's too bad because we look forward to the big epic crossovers. But I feel like it's smart to give it a bit of a rest after Crisis because right. you can't top that. You know, right. We, now we're going to do Infinite Crisis. Now we're going to do Final Crisis. Now we're going to do, they already did Flashpoint and something. <laughs> <What are they laughs> All the Crisis, do, you know? yeah. Um, Doomsday Clock. Like, what are they going to do, right? <laughs> So I think that's probably smart. Um, so we were we talked a couple of weeks ago about how DC Universe, after Harley Quinn and Stargirl ends, they've got nothing in the pipe. Mm-hmm. But I must have been wrong about how the lead time on Doom Patrol, because it was announced that Doom Patrol Season 2 is going to premiere uh, in about a month, in June 25th, oh, simultaneously wow. on DC Universe and HBO Max. Um, so I guess they had that in the can. And they wow. were just like, like Star Trek Discovery Season 3, they were just left to do post-production mm-hmm you know, from various from people's home. homes. <laughs> yeah. you know? So um, so that means that it will follow, if my math is right, so Harley Quinn will, in the way that they've been doing, one show will end the next one. So Harley Quinn ends, Doom Patrol starts. Mm-hmm. It's just that Stargirl is also layered over on top of it. And I think the reason why it's not staggered in the same way is because they had this unique deal with the CW to air them 
the following nights. And so yep. they kind of had to fit it into when the CW would have wanted to air it. Otherwise, yep. I think they probably would have had not have not have had multiple shows running at the same time on DC Universe because they've got nothing else in the pipeline after this. Right. Um, the other big TV news this week, um, you know, hashtag they built the sets. It was confirmed uh, a couple of weeks ago now as we record this that there will indeed be a new Star Trek spinoff <laughs> starring Anson Mount, Ethan Peck, and Rebecca Romaine yeah. as Pike, Spock, and number one called Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yep. The first Star Trek show... Although I guess they already have lower decks, but even that is kind of a place. The first Star Trek show that has not been named after a ship or a person, right? Because the first few oh. shows were all named after the ship or the station. Right. And then Picard was named after a person, right? Yes. So this is just like more of like an ethos, I guess. Even lower decks, one could argue, is a part of the ship. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, Strange New Worlds is more like an ethos, a state of mind. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. But really from the little... A destination. Twi- really from the like socially distanced Twitter announcement video... They really made it sound like it's going to be classic Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I think it's smart. Like, because you've, you've got the Enterprise. They're wearing the colorful uniforms. You've got, you know, a brighter, shinier crew, right? Happier mm-hmm. crew. Have it be, set it apart from those other shows. Discovery is going to be the, the action sci-fi spectacle set in the far future. Picard's going to be the more slower-paced, character-focused drama set in the quote-unquote present you know, for all of mm-hmm. us that grew up with Next Gen. Lower Decks is going to be the animated comedy set in the early Next Gen era. And now you've got um, Strange New Worlds, which is set just prior to the TOS era. Mm-hmm. How do you set it apart stylistically and, you know, um, genre-wise from those other shows? Make it, if not if not a classic week, every, you know, Planet of the Week episodic show, even if there is an arc, what I would do is I would have it be if not a planet of the week, then every week is a new adventure. Don't mm-hmm. make it like Picard where it's one long story. Mm-hmm. Every week is a new adventure, but like many shows from the 90s, like Deep Space Nine or Buffy or any other show you care to name, there were season-long arcs that mm-hmm. were more or less prominent in certain episodes, but each episode still pretty much stood on its own until you get to the way at the tail end of Deep Space Nine. And right. It was like a 10-hour movie to end the show. Have it be that. And that what's more classic Star Trek than that? Like every, you know, and I feel like it's there in the name, strange new worlds, right? They're going to be going to new places. It's not going to be like, oh, we're fighting a machine intelligence for 13 episodes. Right. The same machine intelligence for 13 episodes. Yeah. Um, I think that's smart. And of course, you know, we've talked about the walking charm factory that is Anson Mount. Right. Even in his video. (laughs) he uh, Well, he's got uh, the lush beard going on now. Yeah, the little corn beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Ethan Peck, you know, was great as Spock. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, we've got taste of him doing a more classic version of Spock in mm-hmm. the short treks, and we're going to mm-hmm. get to see more of that. Number one, obviously, is a classic foundational Star Trek character that got almost no development back in the day. And yep. has started to get more a little bit now with Discovery and the short treks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and as this show goes on, do you, you know, you could have a little fun with it. You start to introduce more, because eventually over the course of, you know, the 10 years or whatever. Yep. This show, you know, the the, the crew of the Enterprise turns over from what, what we saw in Discovery to what we see in the first episode of the original series, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying you necessarily have the show, although you could, the show end with like Pike leaving and some new guy playing Kirk coming in, right? But do you, you know, who's to say Kirk was the first one there out of that crew? Do you, you know, after a couple of seasons, do you introduce a young Bones? You introduce a young... Scotty, right? Yep. Like have the crew gradually begin to transition into the TOS crew. Mm-hmm. You know? 
they could do all. I mean, they've recast Spock, right? And obviously, they've already recast all the original roles once for the J.J. Abrams movies. Yeah. But you recast Spock again here, nothing's sacred anymore, right? You can. I don't mean that in a bad way. If you're going to recast Spock, nothing's stopping you from recasting Scotty, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a true. L- less of a verboten you know, role, I would say, than, <laughs> yeah. than Leonard Nimoy Spock. Um, so yeah, and, and I think that's going to be great. And this is the smart way to expand the franchise. You don't throw out a ton of stuff against the wall and see what sticks. You roll it out. I think they've actually been really smart in retrospect. You know, Discovery had its has had its missteps, and you know maybe they could have been a little faster with rolling out these new shows. But now I feel like they they learned some lessons from Discovery. Picard was a very different show. They're about to roll out Lower Decks too. The, the short tracks have been really mm-hmm. successful in mm-hmm. terms of different different genres and being interesting stories. And now you've taken now you're starting to do like your first spinoff, right? Like. Yep. You're taking something that was a hit with Discovery, with the fans, which are these characters, and you're spinning them off on their own show. You could do something similar with Picard, right? Like after two or three seasons of Picard, if Patrick Stewart is like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, exactly. You spin off Seven of Nine into her own show where she's out there as like a space mercenary, you know, a space sheriff, Seven of Nine. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like who wouldn't watch that show? So I know, seriously. You, you know, you can roll it out in like a more deliberate way like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I feel like that's smart. So, you know, who knows with the... You know, coronavirus and everything will probably be like at least a year, probably closer to two years before we see yeah. this show. We haven't even gotten, we should have gotten Discovery Season 3 by now, but they're having to do all the post-production from from home. Yeah, seriously. Um, but that should be soon, probably, you know, late summer, early fall for that, I would think. Yeah. Um, and Lower Decks, maybe early next year, but it'll be a while before we see this. But it's exciting at least that they're working on it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And that's it for our news. Wow. A it's a news. great bit of news, and uh, I'm excited for all the things. So I really what, am. What was your comic of the week? <laughs> I can't remember. I gave it to you two weeks ago. We read some comics since then, um, and I'm sorry to say I I'm, can't remember. It was Swamp Thing New Roots number oh, four. Oh, good. Great. I loved Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing was in there. <laughs> swamp Thing was in there, and Sunderland Combe being a thing from being the swamp. Thing. No, I. You know what I liked? I liked the. This fact was the that one where they basically declared, declared war on him. Theoretically, yeah, theoretically, it wound up being. I mean, spoilers. It I guess it was a holodeck simulation. Yeah, for all Moriarty intents and purposes. was there. There was an Irish town. <laughs> Full of datas. So many datas. Albert Einstein, for some reason. Yeah, yeah, and um, Moriarty became sentient. Yeah, I mean, you know. It's full of full of problems and troubles and no seriously though Swamp Thing was great. Um, I like the idea of how far they had to go to be able to annihilate him, and I love the fact that they used his lingering humanity or at least his sentimentality to uh, uh, for humans against him in order to defeat him and at the end where they put in his um the the simulation disc or whatever uh, on which all of these conclusions were drawn um into a pile full of other people's names other superheroes names if they ever needed to take down superman wonder woman batman um aquaman the flash and i like how like green arrow is on there it's green like, i don't think you need a nuke there. for ne- green arrow yeah. you just need like a couple of snipers or something well, there some, you go. some were a little more difficult than others but. right yeah <laughs> But yeah, they had contingency plans. I felt like this was Batman's bunker because there were more than one storylines where Batman had a contingency plan to take down um, all of these superheroes as well. But now you see that a government agency. Yeah, Yeah, right. Mark Waid and Howard Porter's Tower Tower of Babel. Okay. Wayne McDuffie's animated movie, (laughs) Justice League Doom. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Batman Um, v Superman, Dawn of Justice. I guess... I guess. I mean, yeah. But uh, anywho, 
yeah that's why i picked that one for my comic last week because it was it was very good it was um the art was really stunning. I like the idea. It was something that I hadn't really seen before for Swamp Thing. And I also like the fact that at the end of it, Sunderland realizes that he's, you know, powerless to actually execute on this plan because it's a tiny person's uh, vendetta is not going to be satisfied by some even more dangerous government overlord who has these plans but doesn't execute on them because they are far more strategic and therefore much more dangerous than some hot-headed uh, vengeance-seeking clown hole. <laughs> so um, you, you wonder, you know, who he's in league with and why they're not taking this action. And at the same time, it's like, hmm, well, there you go. This goes deeper than it does, than you thought it did. Um, so yeah, that's why I liked it. How about you? What'd you pick? So I picked one from this week, Deceased Unkillables number three. Mm. This is the conclusion to this three-issue miniseries, which is sort of a um, interquel. Sort yeah. of it takes place between the first DC series and the new one that's coming up um, soon. I enjoyed this too. Uh, yeah. Basically, it's a bunch of anti-heroes. I mean, I guess you can't really call Cassandra Cain an anti-hero, nor could you really call James No, it's, a, mix, it's heroes, a mixed bag. It's a motley anti-heroes crew. anti-heroes and villains. Right. Um, that at the end of the first issue end up uh, holed up, surrounded by the you know anti-life zombies yeah. and protecting a bunch of kids in Gotham City. Mm-hmm. And by this third issue, they basically have to try to make a run for it in some buses to Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn's uh, park, park fortress in, in Gotham City. Um, and, you know, not all of them survive. And yeah, and you, you know, see how and that breaks down. And you don't know who the narrator is until the end. The end... Um, sort of reveals who the narrator was all the time and I had mixed feelings about this because I was like why didn't you pitch in but then she actually explains herself and there was a good reason I mean she was she was afraid of letting her power fall into the wrong side and so she didn't reveal herself until absolutely necessary until she really really was faced with watching her friends die. In a lot of stories you wouldn't buy that but in this story literally every other superhero on her power level had that happen to them. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. I mean, so she was restraining for a reason. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought that was really really good and and the the homage that they pay to all of the people that sacrificed themselves and and the the loss that they felt at not even being able to say goodbye in some cases i mean that really hit me in the heart area and i i i enjoyed that too i enjoyed that ending yeah tom taylor's i mean i've read i've read a bunch of stuff from him but but the stuff that he gets to write most is like dark alternate reality takes so of course injustice was his big thing now mm-hmm. this is his it's you know is a big hit also and he even did the uh, the earth 2 book for a while in the new 52 which had sort of a similar um bent similar thing not to this not on this level but it's like this is an alternate earth where you know it's kind of versions of the characters you know but things aren't going as well yep. um and one of the things he's great at is you know there's a lot of characters and you, you think you've read enough dark alternate versions of the DC universe to not really care if some alternate version of Batman dies for the umpteenth time. Yeah. But he makes you care. Like when when one of these characters that, you know, you care about in the real universe, but how much do you really care about the umpteenth alternate version? Yeah. Um, dies. Like when a character died, like when, you know, spoilers from like when Kyle Rayner or Green Arrow or whatever died in Injustice. It hurt because it's like he he write, wrote it in such a way like it's such a it's such a tragic way for that character to go out and mm-hmm. but you know he wrote them so well that it really does feel like the real version of the character and it always seemed like inevitable but also oh it, like you know it should have been avoidable but it's like just 
but a tragic twist of fate or whatever. And right. so many characters in this story go out that way too. It's like, oh, they almost made it, but then this thing happened. That yep. oh, you should have been able to foresee that, but it's tragic that you. It's understandable and tragic that you didn't. Right. You know, like Shiva goes out protecting her daughter, and, and like how? she has a moment as a mother. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, only time she's acting. You know, Deathstroke has a similar scene. Like mm-hmm. when those characters go out, like how much do you really care about? I mean. Deathstroke's a cool character, but I'm not sure how emotionally invested you are in Deathstroke. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when he goes out here, like that's a cool that's a cool scene for Deathstroke. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It makes you care about this version of the character. Right. And that's what Taylor is really, really good at. So that's Agreed. why I'm looking forward to the sequel. Yeah, the this author too. really paid attention to each of the characters' uh, backstories, as it were. Because characters don't just go out as how cannon did they fodder, make... really. Right, he manages exactly. to make each death feel important and tragic, which is not easy when you have no. like literally the whole DC but universe But also dying. catered to the character. Like yeah, it wasn't just, you know, run of the mill, like, oh, a whatever. building fell on this yeah. guy. It's always like, it's either like super in character or they do something that's against type, but in a way that feels earned. You yes. Know? Like when mm-hmm. the villains go out like heroes here, you you buy it. You buy it's it. Been written yeah, well. you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's really good at that. I love the, the relationship, last thing I'll say, between, um, oh. Uh, Creeper and Grundy. Oh, that was so great. Oh, that was really great. Or I like Cheetah that Cheetah and the little girl. Is the that Cheetah and the little girl. And then at the end, with the, they have the statue, and yeah. they put the little cat ears. The girls put the little cat, cat ears, ears on, on the her. Cheetah statue. Yeah. yeah. All right. So should we move on to your quiz? Yes. So this week, because we watched the finale of what is loosely called the DC Animated Movie Universe in Justice League oh. Dark Apocalypse War, okay. I'm going to quiz you about the DC Animated Movie Universe. So that <laughs> continuity of movies <laughs> going back 15 so or 16 years. Okay, let's All right. see how this goes. Number one, the DC Animated Movie Universe, or Dakamu, <laughs> continuity was introduced in what movie? Justice League War, Son of Batman, Death of Superman, or Justice League The Flashpoint Paradox? I think it was the Flashpoint Paradox. Yes. Awesome. Very good. Good for me. Number two. Mm-hmm. Which actor has played their character in the most movies? Ooh. Jerry O'Connell as Superman, Jason O'Mara as Batman, Stuart Moore as Robin, or Rosario Dawson as Wonder Woman? Oh, it's killing me. I actually think it was Rosario Dawson because I think she did, uh, she played Wonder Woman in something not related to this movie series, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, it's Jason O'Mara as Batman. Is it? Because that was going to be my other guess. Because Rosario oh, Dawson played Wonder me. Woman in the, in the you know, Justice League, um, you know, titled movies, in addition to the, the one solo movie she got recently, so, Wonder Woman Bloodlines. Yeah. Whereas Jason O'Mara played Batman. In, in this movie universe, there were a bunch of Justice League movies that he was in, and there were also a bunch of solo Batman movies that he was in. So he racked up a higher count. Oh, is that how you're counting it? But well, wait, yeah. wait, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> I'm counting all the movies. If you look at the 15 movies in this universe, which of these actors played their character in the in the highest number? And that number is Jason O'Mara as Batman. Because there were like five solo Batman movies and five team movies. Yep. Whereas okay. Jerry O'Connell yep. only got the that's death and fair. return of Superman and the team movies. That's fair. That's fair. All I right. was I was thinking that I was also you know contemplating the fact that uh, Rosario Dawson played one played Wonder Woman outside this continuity. I don't think she has. There was just that one Wonder Woman Bloodlines movie, but even though it had a different art style, that was technically part of this continuity. Oh, okay. All right. I was so wrong. I don't think she... Pl- I mean, there might have been a video game or some other cartoon or something that yeah. I'm not aware of, but I'm just talking about this in, in this in this movie universe. And even if I weren't, I think <sighs> I he, was would, guess he would still win. All right. Number All right. three. Mm-hmm. Jason O'Mara first voiced Batman in which movie? Uh, Justice League The Flashpoint Paradox, Justice League War, Son of Batman, or Batman versus Robin? (sighs) 
I think he did it in The Son of Batman. No, Justice League War. Oh, okay. Because although from the first question, this continuity was kicked off in Flashpoint Paradox, they didn't have this cast yet. Mm -hmm. They still used, because, you know, Flash rewrote history. But by the end of that movie, it was still Kevin Conroy as Batman, even though technically now we were in the new timeline. Got you. You know what I mean? Okay, yes. Then they rolled out the new cast for Justice League War. Okay, got you. All right. Number four. Which of these characters was not voiced by their, you know, later permanent voice actor in their first appearance? So which of these characters had a different voice actor in their first appearance than they did in every subsequent appearance? In this continuity? In this continuity. Oh, God. No, not going back to, like, the Fleischer Superman animated shorts. In this continuity. I really hope Kevin Conroy is in this mix. Well, no, because you know who... Well, I, I guess that's <laughs> not, not, counting, not counting that little thing at the end of uh, Flashpoint Paradox. Starting with Justice League War, the first full movie in this continuity. Okay, All right. Okay. Superman, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, or The Flash? Which of these was not in their first appearance, which in all of these cases was in Justice League War, was not voiced by who would later be their permanent voice actor? I really don't remember. I'm going to just guess for this, and I'm going to say that it was The Flash. Actually, I think I w- worded this. Which of these characters was not? Okay, so I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to give this one to you, although technically you couldn't be more wrong, because <laughs> I phrased this wrong. It should have been which of these characters was voiced by their permanent. Because three of these four people were a different actor in their first appearance. So oh, I so said, I guess the one person that was <laughs> the one. So, you could not be more wrong, but because I, because the question oh, was screwed up, terrible. I can't. I can't very well. Although I feel like you still shouldn't get a point for that one. <laughs> no, because if you recall, in Justice League War, Superman was not played by Jerry O'Connell. It was yeah. Alan it was Alan Tudyk. Was it? Yes. Okay, Alan, see, I don't recall that, honey. I don't Hal, Hal Jordan was not Nathan Fillion. It was another guy whose name I don't remember. Wonder Woman was not Rosario Dawson. It was Michelle Monaghan. Uh, the Flash was Christopher Gorham in his in all all the way through. But the other three okay. they recast from that first movie to the second movie. It was the second movie. Just the Throne of Atlantis, the first movie that had the second movie that had all those characters together, hmm. that they sort of finalized their cast. I don't okay. know why. So he carried, you know, Christopher Gorman's Flash carried, Made the cut. carried, carried <laughs> through Shamar Moore as Cyborg, carried through Sean Astin as Shazam, carried through. Although they didn't use him in the later ones, but yeah. he, he kept going from the first one for a couple more. But right. those first, those other few, they recast. Okay. Well. Okay. All right. Number five. Final mm. question: Which of these films is not part of the Dakamu continuity? <laughs> Wonder Woman Bloodlines, Suicide Squad Hell to Pay, Batman Hush, or Justice League Gods and Monsters? Which of these is not part of the Dakamu? I think it's Batman Hush. No, that was. Damn it. That was Jason O'Mara and Well, I know it was Jason O'Mara. Rebecca Romain were in that one too. But I thought it was outside of the continuity. No, it was in the same continuity. Justice League Gods and Monsters was, if you'd remember what that was. I don't even remember that. That was the one with an alter universe take on... Where it was um, Benjamin Bratt as like a as like a as a, a Zod version of Superman, and um, I don't Wonder Woman this. was was Becca from Apocalypse, and Batman was uh, Kirk Langstrom with vampire powers, and it was an alternate universe take on these characters, and it was like a murder mystery. We watched the movie. You, you don't. Remember. I do remember the movie, but I, I just I don't know. I didn't register it. Uh, as this title that's my problem is that I didn't remember the title of the movie so you got the first one and it depends on whether I give you the the one that I (laughs) I refuse to accept it because I really could not have been more wrong right 
Oh, mm, I could have guessed Superman credit. or that's something. No, it's yeah, one out of sad five. One, one, out, of five. one out of four if you discount that question in its, in its existence, but I refuse to adopt the point. Okay, so shows. So we've got a bunch womp, of CW womp. season finales, and then we've got... Um, that's what uh, you get for quizzing me about names. Anyway, moving on. And then we've got uh, <laughs> an exciting premiere. <gasps> yes. So we have the season finales of Batwoman, Supergirl, and Flash. Uh-huh. To varying degrees, these felt like they really shouldn't have been season finales. The Batwoman one kind of did because yeah, the thing between was, her and her worked. father blew up. Mm-hmm. And the reveal of Hush being transformed to look like Bruce Wayne at the end. And was the, and very the mur- And the murder of Mouse yeah. felt f- like finale worthy. Yeah. Although yeah. I feel like if they'd known it was the finale, they would have had a bigger foe than like a football player. Like some random football player the Batwoman has to fight. Do you remember? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I they feel like they would have gone a little bigger than that. If no, that was the wind-up. They never got to the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but, but you know, I feel like it was a good episode. That was a good episode. Even I liked the, it like, very Like, the thing much. with the football player was a good plot. Yeah. You know, and, and the characters were interesting, but I just, it didn't, that part didn't feel finale worthy. Although it was cool. They got to, they really looked like they got to shoot in that football stadium, which is cool. Yeah, it does. Whatever yeah. football stadium. I don't know anything about football. I guess does Vancouver have a football team? They must, because that's surely where that was shot, right? The Vancouver. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could easily repaint that. I say easily in giant quotation marks, but you could easily take like a soccer pitch and kind of make it look like a football stadium. They don't if you have. To. If they don't have a football stadium in Vancouver, I don't think they have a huge soccer stadium either. I don't know. Someone. I someone feel who, like it's one or the other. Someone in Vancouver can write in and let us know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, th- I think it was a good finale. So yeah. I watched it knowing that Ruby Rose was leaving and I waited till afterwards to tell you. So I was kind of looking to see like, <laughs> Any are, are there signs? Of... Like, like, I don't know what signs. I don't know. I been. thought she was really good in that last Like scene. all the other actors refusing to meet her, meet her gaze <laughs> or something. Yeah, she was good. Well, you know, she, you know, she was good in the episode. I yeah. liked it very much. I did. I liked her episode and I liked, um, I liked the character uh, twists with it, like how she was betrayed by her own father, not knowing, of course, that yeah, he was I didn't, I didn't know where they were going stuff. with that. Like a lot of these, a lot of the twists in these shows, you can kind of see coming. I feel especially like if you've some of those character years, beats but. are a little unearned. Like Batwoman should be a little bit more level-headed, but then again, this is her father. It's her father. Like, her, and so you're gonna have weak points when it comes her, to her the, blind how you're spot is her family. That. Yeah, like, of that's course. always been true of at least of, this version of, of the Kane character, if not, if not every version. Like her blind spot is her family. Like she doesn't. In the comics, her father was right there with her the whole time. Yeah, like he mm-hmm. was her he like, knew. old mm-hmm. man, old man, old in man the Wayne in the chair kind of yeah. thing. Um, but here, you know, and, it, and, and he so you're know. mostly talking about Alice in terms of it being a blind spot. But sure. Yeah, but it's definitely here, true. Uh, Supergirl. So we watched the last couple here. Um, I feel like this this felt like a finale. I mean, apparently to hear John Cryer tell it, like the whole Leviathan thing is seemingly dealt with here, and that felt like a climax. That was like good. A finale. Mm-hmm. Um, some things are left like unresolved like so is brainy like still dying or is he going to be okay yeah. like there's stuff there's stuff like that that's like okay Hanging they clearly the didn't they didn't mean that to be a, like a year-long cliffhanger they probably would have preferred to wrap that up you know had an ending to it one way or the other yeah so but to hear john crier tell it what this you know and you can kind of see from the episode where it's going is the leviathan th- threat gets wrapped up and now lex luther like swoops in and he becomes like the main threat for the last couple of episodes and yeah. that we're not going to get to see and they had you know shot a couple of those episodes. It's yeah. just that they felt that of the ones they had in the can, this one made the best finale. So they're going to hold the last couple or reshoot them or who knows what until next year. Right. And so this is the finale. And so I feel like when you get to choose, apparently, and this is interesting, you know, people 
I've probably been reading into this, but the last episode of Batwoman we watched, that was the last one they filmed. That was the last one that Ruby Rose filmed, is the way it was phrased, which kind of makes it sound like she walked off and they couldn't get her to film any more episodes. <laughs> Whereas in this one, they had a couple more and they got to choose which one would serve as their finale. Right. Which is, you know, if you've got to be in this situation, that's the better way to go because at least you can yeah. you know, mm-hmm. exercise some degree of creative judgment in it. Um and so I feel like it works well as a finale. You know, Alex is left in this interesting place where she's like full on vigilante. Um, uh, I said Tess. That's the wrong show. That's Smallville. Eve. Yeah, uh, yeah. Eve Tessmacher. Yeah. Is, is left in an interesting place. The whole um, the whole Lena Kara thing is seemingly resolved. Yeah. Um, in retrospect, ha- you know, taking a season, a full season, mm-hmm. for that to for that to sort of simmer and 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 come to boil. The payoff was worth it. They it pretty well. I think like, so too. It, I think the payoff was worth it. Like I think early on in the season, you good. could you could be forgiven for thinking, "Oh my God, is it going to be like, like a whole another season conversation of like about?" Cara's trying. Like at first, Kara doesn't realize she's evil, and then there's going to be a scene where she realizes she does, and she tries to win her back. And mm-hmm. then this guy, is she going to be evil or not? I feel like, to their credit, maybe they strung it out a little too long. Yeah, but to the character of Lena's credit. She was, and, and you know, of course, a lot of supervillains, including Lex Luthor, say that what they're doing is for the good of mankind. humanity. But yeah. clearly, they're mm-hmm. deluding themselves. And with someone like Lex Luthor, it's never really clear to what deep. degree you could. But to what degree do some versions of Lex Luthor even really believe? Like deep down, don't they know they're really just doing it for themselves? Like yeah. a lot of ver- some versions, at least. I bet this one does. Yeah. This one, I this one is more about ego than oh, yeah. some other versions. Yeah. You know. Um, but with but with Lena to her, to her credit, she actually did you know, and she her plot is like classic supervillain, like oh I'm going to make everybody obedient and docile, right? Yeah. Like if that was Lex Luthor doing it, yeah, that's an evil plan. But with her, you're like eh, she she her heart is kind of in the right place. But I feel like it was resolved interestingly here, where when it was clear yeah. that it was going to do more harm than good, she's yeah. like nope. This is over. And Lex is like, no, don't you see? We could rule the galaxy as father and son. She's like, you're crazy. I'm out of here. And I'm going to go tell Supergirl what you're up to. Right? Yeah. So, like, I don't I don't feel like... I feel like they did the <laughs> character justice, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, I feel like that was good. Um, Flash. This one, of them, probably felt the least like a finale, you know? Yeah. Iris is still trapped in the mirror world. Yep. Flash is still without his speed. Yep. Um, the new mirror master is out and about. Yep. Um... The closest thing we have to, like, the seems like the thing with Sue is resolved, but then she's falsely accused of the murder of yeah, not great. Ava's husband. Yep. But it, of them, this really felt like, okay, this was just another episode, yeah, right? Yeah, And they had to put To Be Continued at the end yeah. to even let people know, like, oh, by the way, this I is the last they, episode and it's a cliffhanger. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah. Because it was not, it wouldn't have been clear I almost otherwise. feel like that last thing that they shot was that scene in a room where they were all banding together giving a hoorah speech. Like, that wasn't actually, it didn't feel like it belonged in the first script. You know, where Joe comes back and there yeah. are hugs and everybody in, is there and they're like, yeah, let's go, team. In retrospect, maybe they should have done what Supergirl did and not aired the last episode they filmed what if they'd ended it with the previous episode where it ended with Barry and Iris the shot with them oh, and the opposite yeah. ends mm-hmm. like like now Mirror Master is out yep um, but and they're still separated so leave it at now the lowest Joe, low Joe is off yeah. you know wherever um, and, and just end it like that like that would have been a better cliffhanger than this the I other, kinda, the, yeah, the other thing I didn't like about this episode was how stylized the final fight scene was where they had like split screens and like comic book panels 
You know what I mean? Like oh, multiple yes. panels on the screen at no, one. Yeah, like I think Ang they Lee's were ex- Hulk movie. Yeah, they were like, experimenting, but I don't think but it worked. After after so many years, I feel like the style of these shows is set. And I'm not saying you can't experiment or do interesting things, but there are limits. That took me out of the show, and I'm like, oh, you're doing, you're trying to be fancy now, like, yeah. and for the big, for what ended up being the season finale, yeah, yeah. I bet they kind of regretted it because you you don't want to take people out of the action. You want them to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. If it's like the fourth last episode of the season, maybe you can be a bit more experimental. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I I was not a fan of those stylistic choices. Like it was impressive from like a choreography and directorial standpoint, but yeah. it felt like. It felt more too style much. than such. Yeah. Like you didn't need that. Just you know, yeah. Like, I like agree. Arrow did eight years of like Emmy worthy stunts, yeah. Episode after episode, and they never had to resort to something this gimmicky. You know, yeah. just have good choreography, good direction. Mm-hmm. You know, actors who are willing to give it the role, stunt in- incredible stunt people. Right. You mm-hmm. don't have to do this Ang Lee stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, um, Legends of Tomorrow, no, no season finale yet, but we did get, get a couple of really fun episodes. So the, there's the one where they kind of have to go back to college and start a sorority. So and fun. And then there's the most recent one, which is like a zombie episode, basically. Yeah. Um, these continue to be really fun. Mm-hmm. This is obviously a really fun show. Um, I don't often don't have as much to say about it, but I, I think the characters are all, you know, like Fantastic. the thing they're doing with like Zari and Constantine uh, yeah. is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff they're doing with um, with Sarah and what's going on with her and her blindness and everything mm-hmm. is interesting. Um I think this was a heck of a season finale. Well, but we haven't had the season finale. Well, we it's, two more episodes. it's one heck of a wow. Well, this could have served seriously. This could have been because basically everybody, everybody, but Charlie dies. Everybody dies. Yeah. yeah. So they could have been. Yeah. But instead, you know, there's 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 actually much. because of the way because they yeah. only do 15 episodes a year and they shoot them and they at shot a everything. Time, yeah. So this one was finished. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm looking forward to this week's episode. Is going to be a lot of fun. I don't want to spoil the premise for you. No. But it's going to be a lot of fun. And I continue to appreciate the puns in the titles. Yeah, I remember when they started doing that, and I'm like, is that what this show I'm is now? So and now you, just, now you just they just leaned into now it. Now it's fun, but at the time, because <laughs> they fun. started doing it like before the show became like totally off the wall, like it is now. Yeah, and it felt like it's like the show was still semi serious, but they had these wacky pun titles, and it felt like jarring. <laughs> but then the show like became really went just... full Bebo basically, and <laughs> they jumped the Bebo. Yeah. <laughs> but they didn't jump it though. No, no, no. It's just perfect. It was more of like a. More of a body slam. <laughs> Remember our, our, our title, our title of that episode. Body we slam people. Like body slam by a giant, <laughs> by a giant toy in the ancient west or something like that. Was the name of that episode. It's good um, titles. So Harley Quinn. We had two two episodes here. There's no place to go but down, which is the one where Harley and Ivy are stuck in Bane's uh, <laughs> subterranean prison. There's a hole. And yes. then Inner Parademons, which is the one where she goes to yes. Apocalypse to talk to Michael Ironside and recruit his army of Parademons. So good. Of all the places to. To deploy Michael Ironside, you wouldn't think it would be in a streaming a streaming series only dark comedy Harley Quinn show. Oh, you think they would bring him back for like 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 the like Justice League Dark Apocalypse War? Like yeah. instead of Tony Todd, yeah. Like Michael Ironside would have killed it in that and with those I, lines that Tony Todd was given in that movie, he would have been awesome. Tony I, Todd was great too. I but. know he was really good. Um, I I love him in everything that he's done. But I <laughs> I literally watched this episode and then you looked over at me like, aha, uh-huh, that was really good, right? Huh, Michael Ironside, huh? And I was like, yeah, that was a really good impression. You thought it was like no, it was a real guy. I thought it was a really good impressionist, like Michael Bronside or something. <laughs> like it was the cheap knockoff version, like the senior spale bear girl that you get when you. Can't get the real guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's the real guy. I, I, I know. And what's now? Cool, what's What's funny is that even though it's a comedy show, mm-hmm. 
his lines would not have been out of place in the other shows. I know. Because he is like, he is still dark side, right? Yeah. The funny things are happening around him, mm-hmm. but he's still being like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds weird to hear Michael Ironside's dark side utter the words <laughs> Harley Quinn. Yeah. It's like, it breaks my brain a little. It's, you know what I mean? It's someone yeah. for like, tw- uh, how, how long has it been? 24? Five years I almost I since I heard him that, do Dark Side yeah. for the first time. Been over 20 at least. It was the late 90s anyway, mid to late 90s. <laughs> um, but yeah, like his lines yeah. are still like he's just Dark Side yeah. and the weird stuff is happening around, around him, him. But he's still he's still talking the same way. You yep. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Super dangerous. So we have the first two episodes of Stargirl. Yes. So this oh is my this is something I was really looking forward to. It's a very different show for DC. The pilot Universe. made me cry. It this was is, so this good. Is a, this is like a, fa- a family show, basically. Jeff Johns wanted it to be a show that everyone could watch. You mm-hmm. know, success. So it's a show. It's, it's a show about family. Yep. Really, it's about family, and that's what's so powerful <laughs> about it, right? Um, it's a you show. Want your headbutt now or later? I mean, all superhero. Pretty much every superhero story is about family. Yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah, much. I was about to say. I, I think a lot about how the genre, how the superhero genre, is really almost always about parents and children yeah almost always like you can count on one hand a number of like major superhero mythologies that aren't based on the relationships between parents and children right very few very very can you think of any and the ones that weren't originally have since been retrofitted to be that way like the flash right where originally his parents his mother didn't die that was a relative i want to say midnighter well, Midnighter, I wouldn't say, is like a foundational mythological superhero. I'm talking about like the good. icons, right? Like uh, well, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Hal Jordan, Barry Allen. Well, the long-standing Aqu- ones Aquaman, are obviously. Are you Spider-Man, gonna... Thor, Captain America. Are you reaching I into guess, Marvel now? Well, I'm, I'm saying like everyone across the board. Captain America, is that the only one? Iron Man. Captain America, no. Is that the only major one? Captain America isn't about fathers I and sons. I feel Man like is. I could find Thor at least is. another. Um, Even Hulk was a lot in the comics because they they established they reckoned that like the reason why he had like this split personality thing going on was because he was abused as a child by his father. So oh, that was charming. even in the in the Peter David Hulk run. Oh, I didn't anyway, know that. it's just something I think about sometimes. Like, why is every superhero story about either fathers and sons or mothers and daughters? Every almost every one. Hmm. Or in the case of Flash, I guess it's mothers and sons. But in the Flash TV show. He's got like four dads, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's got he's got season one Flash. Yeah. He had Science Dad in in Harrison Wells, right? Yeah. He had he had Teddy Bear Cop Dad in Joe. He had yeah. actual dad. Yeah. In in in, uh, in Henry, Henry Allen, right? Yeah. Anyway. In jail, I was gonna say. <laughs> jail Dad, Cop Dad, and Science Dad. There you go. <laughs> My three dads. Um, three men and a speedster. That's what I was so, about to say. So um, anyway, so but this show is is meant to be about family, like. The whole the whole thing, and you see, like it's clear where the show goes after one episode, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Courtney's whole thing is she she's her, and I, I and I haven't read. It's one of the my, like probably my only blind spot in like the Jeff Johns bibliography is I never read his original Stars and Stripes series. It's only like ten or twelve issues. I really should thirteen read it. issues, but yeah. I don't think the idea that she was longing for her biological father was in there. I could be wrong about. It. I've read a lot of Jeff Johns written Courtney Whitmore stories, but it was all the later JSA mm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it never, it only came up once that I can recall. So I don't think that was in there, but he's, so I think he's sort of taken the opportunity to go back and add more layers to it. But regardless, it's clear that the story here is she's longing for this biological father mm-hmm. who was never there for her. And ultimately, what's the story going to be? That she learns that the mm-hmm. father that she, the father that she really can depend on is Pat, right? Yeah, like the of one course. Who's not ultimately, her biological exactly, father. Right, he's yeah. the one that's there for her family. He's the one that's her partner that's looking out for her. Who her biological father is ultimately doesn't matter. It's the family that 
is with you that's and protects with you. you yeah, exactly. That's clearly where they're going, right? Mm-hmm. But it's done really well. You know, Jeff Johns, I'm curious, is he going to do full Aaron Sorkin? Is he going to write every episode of the show? He wrote the first two. I was curious watching the second one. I was like, did he write this one too? This is the litmus test. Is he just going to do the pilot and then run the room? Or is he going to write every episode? He's written the first two so far. I don't know if he's doing all of them or not. Yeah. Um, certainly his comic book writing output dropped over the past couple of years. He was really just doing Doomsday Clock and then a little bit of Shazam. Yeah. He was yeah. doing something if he was writing... <laughs> You know, if yeah. he was writing 450 pages of, of Stargirl TV series. Yeah. Um, but it's great. I feel like the the, the cast is, is fantastic. It's a big cast, too. Like, What's like, the ma- main girl's name again? Um, Brack, the... So I don't I'm, don't remember whether she pronounced it. It's like, it's like the Kim Basinger thing, right? Is it Basinger or, or Basinger or what is it? But it's Breck Bassinger. something. <laughs> something. I think it's Basinger. At least I'll that's how she was up. introduced in, um, in the DC interview. But she's great. She's great. I just love her, and I want to pinch her beautiful. And she's it's she's it's tricky. Cheeks. It's, it's tricky so because she's got to play like, a lot. We're, we're of, she's parents now. Be, I can't resist. I'm she's like, got to oh. be bratty, but not too bratty, right? Rebellious, but not too rebellious. Right. She's got, but she's got to be sweet and genuine, mm-hmm. and she's got to be loving with her family, but still put off by her step family. She's got to yeah. seem heroic, but not unrealistically suddenly heroic. Like she's got to seem like the kind of person who is always courageous. Mm-hmm but just never had the opportunity to really demonstrate it before. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this is nice because in the pilot, you sort of see that. Before she even meets the cosmic staff, before she finds out anything about her family, she's the one that steps up when somebody is being really yeah. awful to somebody who... Uh, well, that's, to, to that's shorthand. Girl. That's superhero I origin like show, shorthand. I you show them standing up for somebody at school. You of know, course. Like it's it's good shorthand. It's effective. It, it tells you a lot about a character, whether or not they're going to open their mouth and defend... Um, somebody being bullied like that's important that's important character work and if a 15 year old kid has that then you know a lot about the person that they're becoming and the adult that they will one day be like it's it's shorthand for a reason and the the cast is is large too because and a lot of them are just seated in relatively small roles but a lot of the people we're seeing yeah in her school you were telling me are end up being important characters later even though they only have one or two short scenes here like a lot of the parents it's clear mm-hmm. that what's happening here is that we're going to have... They're laying a lot parents, of groundwork. We've got the parents of the villains. It's kind of like... A, it reminds me in some ways of Runaways, right? Because you've mm. got like oh, a generation... Yeah. You've got villainous parents and then their kids who are going to... Like in this case, I think the villains of the... The kids of the villains are going to be the next generation of villains. Of villains, yeah. And Courtney is going to represent the next generation of heroes. Unlike Runaways where there was the split between the parents and the kids. Yeah. I wonder um, if we're going to see any heroic like uh, hero uh, friends for her, I suppose. Because so far it well, seems really like... Oh, are I you mean, saying? if you look at the, if you look <laughs> you at the key art for the show, <laughs> there's some other heroes on there okay. who look like they're pretty young. So I think we're going to see. I mean, the premise of the show is basically Courtney is the first of a new generation of heroes. Okay. She, she's responsible she's for like JSA reviving the two. justice society, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, which is almost, is this close to being like a Mary Sue thing for just like, yeah, ju- the Justice Society is the original super t- superhero team. And so I'm going to take the character that I created and yeah, have them be responsible yeah. for the, for the leader of a new Justice Society. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, eh. But she's earned it because she's been in the Justice Society and Justice Society comics for like almost 20 years now. Yeah. She's so enmeshed in that mythology. Yeah. And she did. In the original, in like in the James Robinson, Jeff Johns revival of J- the JSA, she was right there and yeah. she was there. Because she was the young kid that represented more than anybody else that was there. She was the youngest. She represented the next generation of heroes, right? Mm-hmm. And then when other kids came on later in Jeff John's next relaunch, like Cyclone and the new Wildcat and so on like that, yep. she looked out for them. Mm-hmm. Yakeem Thunder, 
you know, so that was the cool thing. And so we're going to see something kind of here, but more condensed, I guess, right? Where she's the rookie at first and then other kids come along, but she actually, especially with Pat with her, has more experience and kind of more innate talent too because of her gymnastics and whatever natural affinity the rod has for her than these other kids are going to have, right? Yeah. Anyway, so I had a couple things I wanted to make. First of all, the scene at the beginning where you get to kind of see some of the Justice Society briefly. Like anytime I get to see the Justice Society in live action, like I love that Smallville two-parter. Anytime you get to see any of it, like... These are these are characters that have been yes, around for please, almost. Yes, please give me. Yeah. Well, these are characters that have been around for almost a century. Right? Characters that you think of now as being the big superheroes, yeah. you know, like Supergirl and the Barry Allen Flash. They were an entire generation, like a literal in our real Earth time, a literal entire generation after some of these characters. Yeah. Like the Jay Garrick Flash debuted like a year after Batman. Mm-hmm. Like right there at the beginning you know what i mean and they just but they've been largely forgotten because the silver age relaunches yeah became so much more popular kids mm-hmm. these kids these days don't know from alan scott and jay garrick they just yeah. know how jordan and barry allen yeah right yeah let alone characters that didn't get a silver age revamp like flash like green lantern like the adam like hawkman did like the justice society did with the justice league characters like dr midnight wildcat our man johnny thunder yeah right mm-hmm. mr terrific now kids kind of know because there's uh, way later there was a modern mr terrific mm-hmm. right the michael mm-hmm. holt or curtis holt versions but dr midnight johnny thunder our man kids don't know who these characters are really like they were in a little bit of some of the cartoons sometimes but that's it mm-hmm. you know so it's cool to see them in live action um we don't get. To, we only get hints of some of the big guns. We see some green flame. We never actually see Alan Scott. We mm-hmm. see Jay's helmet. We never actually see Jay. I wonder if that's because they're only setting up the legacies that they plan to use in the show, mm-hmm. or whether it's because they're they think they might do something with Jay Garrick later, and they don't want to cast him yet because they want to wait until they can have a bigger role for the character. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but yeah, I enjoyed that. If I if if I had one qualm about the pilot. And it's it's not it's not you know a deal breaker by any means. In one casting thing that rang false for me, I really liked Joel McHale. I thought he was great in Community. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure it was the best casting here. Like regardless really? of how re- I actually really liked this. Regardless choice. of how similar he is to the comic book Sylvester Pemberton, which is to say not at all. I don't I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I don't I don't care about that. Okay. But it's like when you see the painting, or I guess it's supposed to be a photo. But it's it really supposed looks to be like a photo. A, really looks like an Alex Ross painting, but it's supposed to be a photo. Oh, is that oh. of of all the of all the Just Society members, and everybody's wearing their eighty year old classic costumes yeah. and looking like they stepped out of an old m- newsreel. Yeah. And then you've got Joel McHale there with his cool haircut and his stubble. He's stands out like a sword it's like the justice society and Plus this like guy. your douchey cousin right okay. you know what i mean he doesn't look like because he <laughs> he didn't i'm not I'm, I'm sure that he would have if they asked him to but he didn't shave he didn't grow he, he looks like a guy from the 2000s sitting there in a photo that was supposed to be taken with these guys that are from the i 40s didn't bump on the photo i thought actually that joe McHale was interesting casting because I thought it was funny that he had a personality. I thought it was funny that he had a modern sensibility. I'm fine and with him having. I love. I thought his death scene was incredibly weird. Like that was it's a good. Not you. It's that was definitely that not was a, you. That, that was a good scene. That was a great scene. And I'm okay with him being a little bit more modern because he was, like, he was a kid when these other right. heroes were adults, and he yeah. was like. He was kind of a, a, um, a precursor for Courtney in the sense that he was Star Spangled Kid and then he grew up to be an adult hero yeah. and was welcomed into the JSA. Yeah. Kind of like how Courtney is starting out as a kid. Yep. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still felt like there was too much of a get. Like it felt like Joel McHale 
It didn't feel like Star Spangled Kid or Starman or Skyman or whatever well, you want to call them. I'd be interested to hear what other people who have read the comics before, he, especially he the ones like, that read it. Yeah. He looked like Joel McHale right out of The well, Soup or whatever he, that show was. His all of his all of his scenes with with Pat were like. He, he was saying like quippy. It was like yeah, snarky, told you to wait in the snarky car. Yeah, comedy, right? Sure. You know what I mean? It just felt like Joel McHale playing himself, basically. Or like, I don't know what he's like in real life. It felt like him in every other role I've seen him in. You know what I mean? Mm, maybe. It was fine because it was just a short role. Right. And maybe they'll, he'll be back for flashbacks later and he'll get to flesh out that character and performance more. But it did take me out of it in the sense like he really didn't feel like he was of a piece with the rest of the show, mm. like in terms of his look or his performance. That took me out of it a little bit. Okay, well. Um, but I'm okay with it because it's like, it's just, and you want him to be a memorable character. You want him to stand out a little bit because you want him to make an impression so that later when Courtney is like, oh, was he my father? You're not like, wait, which character was she talking about? Right. Like, you want to you 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 remember. You want to remember him as being like a cool guy, but also maybe like he kind of feels like he was a little bit of a, because Joel McHale has a got like this bad boy attitude, yeah, sure. right? Got a so, oh, I could buy him being someone who would abandon his family. Like I could, I could buy Joel McHale <laughs> okay. abandoning his family. Jeez. Um, <laughs> Be nice. But you wouldn't buy Luke Wilson's character, right? Like you no. wouldn't if Luke Wilson was playing that role. You wouldn't buy him abandoning an eight-year-old daughter or whatever, right? Because that's no. not what you cast Luke Wilson for. That's what you cast Joel McHale for. So I can <laughs> see how you, I can see how you connect those oh dots. God. But I don't know. Would have gone with I don't know. Maybe more like a. Um, I'm so terrible with names today. Um, kind of more like a Chris Pine type. Huh. Where he, he feels kind of like a clean-cut, old-fashioned action hero, but he still has like a little bit of that bad boy swagger yeah. to him. okay. Like Star Trek yeah, 2009 era. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like got Chris you, Pine. I got you. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they cast him as Steve Trevor, right? Who is the sure. epitome of like the 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 old-timey, yeah. you know, Absolutely. action man, yeah. right? Um, but he, did a great job. he felt like a bit of a, like a man out of time, but he still felt like Steve Trevor. a product of that time. Right? Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of what you needed here more than Joel McHale. So that's my only quibble. Mm. Not to say I didn't think he was good. I like him. I just casting wise, it felt like I am so glad they got Luke Wilson. He is so wonderful. Yeah, he has really such a warmth and that character needs to be. That's the <sighs> one you need to like, even if even if. Courtney was cast with someone who was like good but not perfect, mm-hmm. right? Even if it was mm-hmm. more of like, and again, not not fair, but even if it was more of like a Ruby Rose and a Melissa Benoist, <laughs> you have to nail Pat Dugan because that character is the heart of the show, yeah. right? Yeah. If if he does it because he's the center, because he's your he's your your entree into the superhero stuff. Yeah. He's the center. He's like the center of the family stuff. The yeah. one in which because he's the one that that. Got brings everybody. these two halves yeah. of the family together. He's the reason why it's through him that you meet a lot of the other inhabitants of yeah. Blue Valley. Yeah. I know that the shoe work. is going to drop with um, his his son, Michael. Is that his son? He yeah, keeps saying Michael. Yeah, that's his biological Michael. son. Oh, yeah, okay. biological son from a previous marriage or something. Yeah. I'm not sure that's ever really... I'm not sure it's we've not. ever met like his ex-wife or whatever. It's not It's not brought so up. What, so what weird. did you think he, he was? He says, Michael, I, I don't know. See, that's it's the thing. Some I thought, kid that he found? <laughs> no, not a, some kid that he found. But I thought that maybe it was like um, um, uh, like he could have adopted him no, or I, something well, like that. I mean, you never know. I for 100% sure. But I mean, it is Mike Dugan is his... That's his son like oh, okay. i think that's his son from a previous marriage like, but i'm saying wife, my I'm point sure if his is wife died or if there was a divorce i don't know my but. my point is that i'm enjoying the cast the the kid that they cast for mike as well because i'm pretty sure that he's gonna eventually you know 
get in on the family business as it well, were. Well, he's way too young here. Seeker. I mean, if you I, yes, so if you but don't mind he's a, smart. He's fun. If you don't mind a minor spoiler for something they're not going to do on the show, I think he's he's young here. Maybe he maybe he'll end up like if he learns the secret, he'll right? End up that's like what helping, I'm thinking. Helping yeah. pad out. That's what I'm thinking. As a mechanic, as yeah. like a little mechanic or yeah. something. In the comics, he was like Courtney's bratty stepbrother, right? But then he sure. was he was kind of a good kid, and then and then later. There was a thing where you see Courtney from the future. Like she comes back in yeah. time from like 2040 or whatever. And uh-huh. she's Star Woman and she's awesome. And she's like the leader of the Justice Society. <laughs> cool. And she's like, oh, I've got to get back. Um, Stripe you know, Stripe needs my help or something. And it's Mike. Like, yeah. like way in the future, she yeah. becomes his mentor. She's Star Woman and he becomes the new Stripe. And he's like, you know, Kid yeah. Stripe, he's like that. So I always thought that was cool. It's like a generational thing. I like bet. Pat mm-hmm. teaches her and then she teaches Pat's son. And yeah. they like pa- they like pass along the same lessons. Yeah. And Pat's probably still out there as like an old man or something. But, but he deserves always, a retirement. Like how Mike hopefully. becomes like the second stripe or something. In yeah. the, I always like Jeff Johns would do that stuff sometimes where he'd show like yeah he'd what show happens a future, next? Like everything's going to be forward. okay. Yeah, like there's yeah. going to be there's going to be another Justice Society. Like those legacies will always yeah. continue. Like you can't yeah. you know those legacies will never die. There's always going to yeah. be a new that's always, Star Man or exactly. Star Woman. There's always going to be another Hour Man. There's always going to be another Flash. Like yeah. that was that's very much his thing. You know, the Witness Doomsday Clock. Right, like the entire universe. A godlike being can conspire against you, but the but the DC the foundational aspects of the DC universe, be it Superman or the Justice Society or the Legion, are too strong for any one mm-hmm. revamp to yeah. wipe away. Like they always return in some form or another. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. it's they're eternal basically. So Jeff, Grant Morrison would tell you this because the DC universe is actually alive, and mm-hmm. he means it when he says that. So you know you don't necessarily need to go that far, but yeah, I think it's fair. And it felt this feel, feels very Jeff Johns. Like this is maybe some of the tamest stuff because his stuff can actually shock you sometimes with how brutal it can get. Mm. And he actually got a bit of a rep for a while. I think is sort of like a phase, and it's maybe just the stories that he happened to be writing at the time. But um, where he would have like brutal char- characters be like brutally dismembered and stuff. Jeez. Um, but I feel like that was just those were what those stories needed in those one or two instances. They just happened to all kind of be happening close together. And so it kind of seemed like this is a phase he's in now or whatever. Right. But he, he's always had this for, sort of very gentle to me anyways. Always just very gentle touch. But his stories are always about family and legacy and, you know, heroism and that's like it's you know those sort of old-fashioned ideals you know that these characters represent his is always you know you get grant morrison his stuff is always maybe a bit more highfalutin right like yeah. it's about the the meta textual you know what i mean like oh yeah. this is how this universe is alive and it fights back against the writers who try to you know what i mean um but jeff john's stuff has always been like very straight down the you know straight and narrow in that sense so i yeah. feel like this is a good match like you get him on a, on a streaming service where he doesn't need to worry about being super commercial about it. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't need to worry about how saleable, you know, Dr. Midnight is as a character. You yeah. don't need to cast a sexy CW star, even though the show is on the CW too. So it's kind of <laughs> ironic. Yeah. Um, and and you get him and you let him write the, the character with, you know, the benefit of 20 years of hindsight where you can say, if I had to, if I had to do the original Stars and Stripe miniseries now, yeah. how would I do it better? You know, yeah. with everything he's, all the skills that he's acquired and the benefit now of, you know, getting to do it on TV with technology, like you couldn't have done Stripe yep. and had him look half as good even five years ago, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, th- this the Stripe, the Stripe on the show, I'm like... I'm sure there's some practical stuff. Like I'm sure the interior that you see yeah. Pat in is is, and I'm sure they maybe built like one of the legs or something. But I'm assuming most of it is CG, and it is flawless. It is that is photorealistic. Yeah, I know. You know, like that's as flawless as 
like even the Iron and it has the Iron Man suits in the Marvel movies have to do more than this does. This can you know is made to look a little big and clunky and shiny and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were times like even watching like Infinity War where I'm like, eh, the CG on the Iron Man suit there it's a little too shiny or the lighting doesn't quite work. I can't point to a single scene in the in this episode, this most recent one we watched with Stripe in there, where I didn't think it looked photo yeah. now some of the some of the physics of, like when it's hit against the cards and stuff you're like i'm not quite sure it felt like 500 pounds of Maybe mech was hitting I, that card like that's the physics i didn't have a single feeling the, feeling the weight and the way that physical objects interact is always way trickier than making it look nice and shiny yeah, you know yeah and there were moments there where that didn't quite they, they didn't quite buy that as much but it never took i don't know i didn't it. bump yeah exactly i didn't bump on any one particular thing because i mean it's a it's a mecha robot, you know? So, I mean, there were a couple moments where, like, the lighting was off. I, I can remember in the garage. So I I know a couple places where I'm sure they would want to add a little bit of polish to, no pun intended, to make the robot lighting a little bit more closely match the environment lighting of the rest of the scene. But honestly, um, I just, it, it's such a great series of effects. I, I enjoyed it, too. I enjoyed the comedy. You're, you you forgive a lot when the scene itself is really good. And the scene where he was practicing in the cornfield, which, okay, they have a cornfield nearby. That's great. Um, well, it is Nebraska. I think there are a lot I of suppose. cornfields. Yeah. Um, when he was he was sort of practicing with his with his uh, fist, which you knew that was going to be Chekhov's fist. It needed to <laughs> to have some sort of payoff at the end, which was great. Um, you can see the seams in some of the effects, right? Like the the corn stalks don't about, bend oh, I wasn't, well, perfectly I wasn't or something. I mean, I'm sure that the they the could have filmed the real quarter crew field. guys. Why, why wouldn't they just send a second unit out to some cornfield? No, you don't understand. I, I'm pretty sure the cornfield was correct. I'm saying that, that was real ass corn. That was very real corn. That was for sure legit corn. I'm t- I'm saying that when the robot came on the scene, like there oh, were it moments didn't feel where, like it was interacting, right? With like the, the anti exactly. Like I yeah, noticed but you, that. You but again, you forgive. It's, it's so good. It's just like the scene in the first Iron Man movie where he's practicing with the suit in the in his little garage thing there, yeah. right? And he keeps banging into stuff, and the, the, the little comedy fire extinguisher robot yeah, is squirting so into the good. stuff. Like the CG doesn't hold up not perfectly by modern perfectly, standards, right. but because the scene is so good, and the and the and this the, isn't what it looks like. Yeah, it's so, so funny. It. Yeah. yeah, it's so good, and um, and and you're just there in the moment. And you spray feels... me with that thing again, and I'm not on fire. I'm donating you to a city college. <laughs> Oh, and then the sad little <laughs> of the robot. Yeah, it was very good. No, it, but I mean, the, the show has a lot of heart. I mean, seriously, the pilot made me cry. And the second episode was just as good. And they really paid a lot of attention to a lot of the characters, which is tough to do. But I've like the same thing that I said about the pilot. The second episode was dense and full of world building and dropping hints of characters to come and i'm very excited good it feels like just having seen two episodes and as many as many streaming shows do the first two episodes almost feel like they could combine to be a longer pilot like she becomes she becomes star girl at the end of the second episode not the first like a lot of shows are that way (laughs) i love the sewing machines that's so funny but um (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, the pacing is good in the sense that like the two episodes, they definitely have their own distinct stories, but it is still like one long story. Yeah. Um, we're gradually getting to know some of the side characters. The pacing is good. I think it's it's 12 or 13 episodes. So it's not, you know, it's it's on the longer side for one of these. That's kind of the max for one of these streaming shows. Yeah. Um, 
like Star Trek Discovery goes to 15 sometimes, but most of these shows like Titans, Doom Patrol, they're all like 10 to 13 episodes. So I feel like that's good. And then, of course, you know, we had Crisis on Infinite Earth last year that established that this is Earth 2. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So and they, they, people keep asking Jeff Johns, is there going to is she going to cross over with the other CW shows? And he's like, well, not right away, but. You know, eventually, I imagine eventually it's the kind of thing we could do, yeah. right? Like if the shooting schedule is aligned. Now, I think they shoot this show. They're not shooting it in Vancouver, obviously. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure this is shooting in Atlanta, actually. I think I read that somewhere, really? which means that it would actually be easier for them to cross over with Black Lightning yeah. <laughs> more than anything else. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that, I think that next year, we will see. This is my guess. Season two of Star Girl is going to cross over with The Flash next year for one episode. Kind of like how they did that one special one-off crossover in season one of Supergirl where Flash came to her. Mm-hmm. Right? And that was a big deal because they had because they were still shooting in L.A. at the time. They had to fly Grant Gustin out. Kind of like how they had to fly Chris Williams from Atlanta to Vancouver mm-hmm. to film Crisis. It was a bigger endeavor. They only did it for one episode. But I think... Um, one episode of The Flash next year will have Stargirl in it. Mm-hmm. I think that once they establish it, the multiverse is That'd still out nice. there. I don't think you want to do it the other way around, at least not right away, because this is a streaming show for, even though it's even though it's being re-aired on the CW, it is ostensibly a show for a different network. You know, uh-huh. like it's for DC Universe. It's a streaming show, so each season is going to have its own story arc. Mm-hmm. You can't really interrupt it to have a crossover in the middle. It doesn't seem like that kind of show. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't think you'd want to do it the other way around. I don't think you'd want to have the CW characters come over and interrupt yeah. season two of Stargirl. Yeah. But you could have her, you know, between episodes, don't even don't even mention it on Stargirl. Just like have an episode of The Flash where he discovers the multiverse still exists and he's bouncing around this new multiverse and he lands in a place and we recognize it as Blue Valley and Stargirl walks up and they spend half the episode yeah. fighting yeah, who Vandal knows Savage or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think that I, I I would bet that that's what they'll do. I mean, because why wouldn't they? And the, even if even if this wasn't being rebroadcast on the CW, yeah, it's got Greg Berlanti and Jeff Johns producing. It's you know it's it's of the somewhat of the same pedigree. Even if the day to day is not the usual CW Vancouver crew, um, there would be enough. Let's put it this way: I think I would put it at higher odds. I would have put it. I would put it now at higher odds than I would have put Black Lightning mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. beginning of its first season. Mm-hmm. That I would have put on that ever crossing over. You mm-hmm. know, so yeah. I think it'll happen. Yeah, eventually, I believe so too. And and can you imagine Courtney and and uh, Melissa Benoist Supergirl in oh a scene together? Oh my god! <laughs> the sheer, the sheer amount of giggling and cuteness that would happen. <laughs> oh god! Oh my god! That would be great. <laughs> All right. Um. Is that it? And I feel like, just one last thing I'll oh. say is that I feel like that scene in Flash kind of writes itself too because they had a lot of friends on the old Earth too, right? Like Harry and Jesse. Yes, they did, yeah. And so as soon as they discover the multiverse still exists, it writes itself, right? You go to the, you go to Earth too to see if you're, because the rest of the multiverse, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense when you think about it because the rest of the multiverse was repaired. N- not in the same way. That was the point. All of well, it got jumbled. Everything got juggled around. Well, not all of it got juggled around. Like, like the the Brandon Routh Superman is still on the same Earth that he was pre-crisis. So not um, everything got juggled. I don't around. even think that's true. No, the number is the same, and the Titans Earth well, is the so same. Well, so hold on, because the number may be the same, but his Brandon Routh um, is yeah, some, different. Some like the were, situation. Some is things different. were changed. I just wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. I guess you point the blame at Oliver. I, I wonder <laughs> why he 
you know, all the other Earths were reconstructed, even if they were made slightly, even if he tuned them up a little bit and jumbled around a little bit. But seemingly the old Earth, too, was completely replaced. No, well. I mean, maybe it's out there somewhere. It just has a different designation. Yeah. Maybe that's what they'll do. Or maybe it was like super combined with, because it was so close to anyway, know, Earth 1. Regardless, it was combined with. If once, once the Star Labs crew discovers that the multiverse still exists, job one would be going to Earth 2 and seeing if Harry and Jesse are still alive, right? And so they arrive yeah. on this new Earth 2 and wow, all of a sudden you've got yourself a Stargirl crossover, right? So yeah. it practically writes itself. I think that's probably something they'll do next year. Maybe. Anyway, we'll see. Yeah. So if you want to reach out, uh, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is www.smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about... What was that? It's the Cosmic Staff. Ooh.